Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unchained, your no-hype resource for all things crypto. I'm your host, Laura Shin, author of The Cryptopians. I started covering crypto seven years ago, and as a senior editor at Forbes, was the first mainstream media reporter to cover cryptocurrency full-time. This is the February 7th, 2023 episode of Unchained. Web3 projects lost nearly $4 billion of crypto assets in 2022, but nothing is more expensive than losing trust. Secure your company with Hallborn's best-in-class security advisory solutions. Visit Hallborn.com for more. FTSE Russell, a leading global index provider, has applied its trademark expertise, governance, and structure to digital assets, offering institutional quality data to build, manage, and measure investment portfolios. The exchange-vetted flagship index series measures the investable digital asset market from large cap to micro cap. Get your index data from a market leader. Find out more at footsierussell.com slash digital asset. Buy, earn, and spend crypto on the crypto.com app. New users can enjoy zero credit card fees on crypto purchases in the first seven days. Download the crypto.com app and get $25 with the code Laura. Link in the description. Become a disruptor in the emerging fintech space through NYU Stern's new Master of Science in Fintech program. This one-year part-time program is designed with full-time working professionals in mind. Visit stern.nyu.edu slash msft hyphen unchained. Today's topic is crypto taxes. And hopefully this episode will help the audience through what is likely one of the more challenging parts of their interest in crypto. Here to discuss are Shihan Chandrasekhar, Head of Tax Strategy at Cointracker, and Lawrence Zlatkin, VP of Tax at Coinbase. Welcome, Shihan and Lawrence. Pleasure. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Heads up, everyone. This show is all about crypto taxes. However, the interview is meant for informational purposes only. Nothing mentioned in this show should be construed as financial or tax advice. Please consult a tax professional about your own personal situation. I've been doing a tax episode every year about this time for quite a while, and I should say that, of course, as usual, we will be focusing on paying taxes in the U.S. Sorry for international listeners, but this is just the majority of the audience, so that makes sense. Uh, Given that my audience likely knows at least some of the basics, maybe let's just start with some of the new things at an overview level. Shihan, can you start us off with what's new this year when it comes to reporting crypto transactions? Yeah, sure. So uh, 2022 uh, was a tough year for the industry. Uh, I mean, now we are in the tax season. Uh, there are some minor updates uh, that you need to think about when filing your taxes. First of all, that infamous crypto question has been updated by the IRS. We first saw that appearing on the 2019 tax return. It went into 2020, 2021. And now we are seeing a much more expanded version of the 2022 tax form. So make sure you uh, answer that question correctly. And what is that question now? The 2022 question is, 
At any time during 2022, did you receive, uh, sell, exchange, gift, or otherwise dispose of a digital asset? So the, the, the major update for 2022 is that in the previous years, the question was referring to virtual currencies. In 2020, uh, they have changed the term to capture digital assets, which is a you know much more broader interpretation. So therefore, like you know, clearly things like NFTs and anything that's in the blockchain that that's considered a cryptographically secured asset, uh, if, if you interacted with them, you will most likely have to check yes for that question. So that's one of the major updates. Other than that, there were a couple of uh, chief council uh, memorandums that uh, was issued uh, in the last couple of weeks. Uh, we can kind of go into that in details in the coming minutes. But the, the major update is the question has been updated. But yeah, make sure you answer that question correctly going forward. Just to add to what Shihan said, I, there's also, I think, some, I don't think there's necessarily more clarity, but there's more focus on staking and what staking represents and whether it's taxable. The service itself has added staking to the question and also put it on its website for the first time. So I would say there's probably just a renewed interest. People in this audience might have heard of the Jared case. I think uh, Shahan referred to it last year, a question about timing of inclusion. And so that we can talk a little bit about that and how that was resolved. But I think staking itself is front and center. The ETH merge from last fall, September, I think all that has played a very important role, dynamic role in 2022. Great. Yeah, we'll dive into the details on a number of those issues later in the episode. But why don't we now just lay the groundwork for some people, obviously lots of meaty things to cover from 2022, including bankruptcies and ecosystem collapses. But let's just make sure people understand the general basics around how crypto is taxed in the US. As far as I understand, there's one foundational concept that people need to grasp, which is capital gains tax. Lawrence, can you describe which types of crypto transactions are taxed under this fashion and how capital gains tax works? So capital gains tax is really sort of a mechanism for taxing disposition of property. And crypto is viewed as property. That's one of the few things the government told us is way back in 2014 in a notice. So when you buy, sell, or trade, or exchange crypto, whether in any particular form, tokens, Bitcoin, ETH, NFTs, you're going to trigger what we call a capital transaction. And that will generate capital gains or capital losses. Most people think of it in the form of securities. So when they buy, sell, hold, or trade stocks or bonds, um, when you trade those, um, then that triggers also capital gains or losses. The capital gain system within the U.S. is set, stands apart from the regular system, what we call ordinary income, which is wage income. So you can also do crypto transit. You might be paid in crypto. That's a very different concept. Still triggers income, but it doesn't necessarily trigger capital gain income. Capital gain income is taxed at a different rate. It's netted. So capital gains first have to be netted against capital losses. That's going to create an issue from what you raised earlier about the treatment of losses, which unfortunately has, has created more of issues in 2022 than in prior years. We can talk a little bit about that because the answer for losses is a little bit, I think, uh, less beneficial. It could be less palatable for most people, but it's a separate mechanism of tracking, calculating. You net all that out. When you end up with net capital gain, you pay tax at a maximum rate, typically in the U.S. of 20%. If you're an individual, you might be subject to net investment uh, addition. There's a, sur a surplus tax, um, supplemental tax that's applicable. But that's it's less than the ordinary income rates, which are usually for at least high-income individuals in the 30s. So it's a separate parallel system. And so there's another way that crypto transactions can be taxed, which is as income. 
what types of transactions or events would you say are taxable as income? So wages. So you might receive crypto in the form of wages. Actually, the way the government treats that is you receive wages, then you purchase crypto. So it's not quite the same way. But um, if you receive compensation in the form of crypto, then that's also going to trigger, you would be subject to income tax. Staking is also yield, rewards, other parts of the ecosystem that trigger what we call ordinary income. That is actually taxable as well, but it's not taxable at capital gains rates. It's taxable as ordinary income. And uh, that's taxable at a higher rate for most high-net individuals. And Shihan, would you have anything to add on that? Uh, again, just to, to summarize, like here, uh, especially if you're brand new to crypto, just remember these five situations. Uh, and if you fall into these five situations, you could have a taxable event and a liability. So number one, just cashing out crypto. Pretty self-explanatory. You had Bitcoin, you sold it and made a profit. You got to file taxes. Uh, number two is crypto to crypto trades. Even though you're not necessarily realizing cash in hand, you still have to pay taxes if you're making a gain. The third situation is when you spend cryptocurrency or an NFT to buy a goods or service. That triggers a disposition event and, and you might have a taxable liability there. Number four is when you earn crypto, that also triggers a taxable event. That's what you know Lawrence just described. You can earn cryptocurrencies to wages, staking income, mining income, uh, yield, uh, interest type products and et cetera. And the final, the bucket where you could be subject to taxes would be airdrops and hard forks. Uh, you know, airdrops happen frequently uh, in, the, in the industry. You know, I, I'm not sure if we had any significant hard fork events last year. Maybe we can talk about Ethereum merge in the, uh, in the coming minutes. So yeah, so if you have those five situations, uh, you will likely have a tax liability and you will also have to file additional forms to report your information to the IRS and pay the uh, the taxes. All right. And then let's quickly clarify which types of crypto activity are not taxable. Hodling, the mere purchase of crypto and holding it in your wallet. The transfer of crypto from one wallet to another wallet is another good example of things that people might do that uh, is non-taxable. Anything that does not what I call monetize or create something different is going to be uh, non-taxable. A uh, soft fork. So the ETH merge, I think, is also viewed by most people as a non-taxable event because it was just essentially the change in the code, underlying code. It went from proof of work, of course, to proof of stake, but it was essentially the same token. So just the reformulation of that token uh, itself is what we view as a non-taxable event. Um, so those are probably the best examples, I think of what people might be doing. And what about receiving crypto as a gift? So a gift is generally not, it's a gift is usually taxable on a donor. So there are limitations just in terms of how gift taxes. It's a, again, it's another system of tax that's apart from the income tax system. If you exceed a gift tax exemption, then that might be subject to gift tax, but that's applicable to the donor. The donee does not pay tax. It's a gift. So it's not considered income in the traditional sense. And you actually receive it with what we call a carryover basis. So you receive the same basis that the donor had in the asset beforehand. So any built-in gain associated with that is going to be taxable to you, the donee, when you dispose of that asset as well. And um, just in general, what behaviors would you advise crypto people to adopt when it comes to transacting to make tax time easier? To make tax time easier, uh, I would say keep track of your assets, keep track of basis, evaluate um, what you've actually purchased and sold, 
you can try to trigger gains or losses to net so that you end up in a better position overall within your tax if you've done this, if you do this before the end of the calendar year. So it's essentially sort of to, to recognize what assets you've had, gains and losses. If you have built-in gains, maybe you have losses that you can trigger. The rules for crypto are a little bit more generous in terms of what we call washed sales. So you can actually trigger, even if you want to hold on to the asset, it's not true for the regular financial services world TradFi, but if you, most people believe that wash sales don't apply to crypto, so you could actually trigger a loss to offset gains, to net out essentially at zero, so you're not taxable on those, even if you purchase that asset again afterwards, as long as there's a meaningful change overall in terms just the time, they're both separate transactions. Um, so it's really just calibrating your gains and losses so that you can effectively manage them as effectively as possible while keeping track of those assets, what was your basis? Um, that's probably the, one of the hardest parts because unless you're transacting only on one exchange and Coinbase, we'd love for you to do everything in the Coinbase ecosystem. So we'll track that for you. But if you're doing other things within DeFi or transferring it to your wallet or doing things elsewhere, no one's going to keep track of that better than you do. So, and you have to essentially self report gains or losses, even if that is not reported on a particular exchange or given to you as a transaction report. All right. And obviously, this is a new and emerging area. And, um, you know, the tax system is sort of, or the tax code is sort of applying kind of existing situations on a crypto. So are the processes around reporting crypto codified to the part where it's obvious which forms you're using to report different activities? And if so, what are those forms? Yeah, uh, I guess at the individual level, uh, the forms that you need to file uh, are so, uh, very clear. Let me kind of walk you through some of the forms. Uh, we spoke about that crypto question on the front and center of the 1040. So the 1040 is like the, the form that you file to report not only your crypto, but all of your you know taxable uh, income and expenses. So 1040 is one. Form 8949 and Schedule D are most commonly used forms, uh, especially if you have capital gains and losses coming from crypto disposal and crypto and also NFTs. Schedule one is another frequently used form. There's a line Z where you can report other income coming from you know, staking income, uh, mining uh, income that you do as a hobby uh, or any type of other miscellaneous types of income that you earn in the crypto space. And there could be other forms like, you know, Schedule C, for example, if you have like a mining operation that you're running as a trade or business, so you can report that income and also, you know, claim some of the expenses. So, yeah, so, so those are the main forms. Uh, just to summarize the 1040, Form 8949 and Schedule D uh, to report your capital gains and losses. Schedule 1 to report your other income items. And uh, Schedule C if you have like a trade or business uh, where you do a mining or even could be a staking operation as well. All right. And then last question before we dive into some of the crazy events from last year and how uh, those apply to crypto taxes. What are typical mistakes you see that crypto people make when it comes to their taxes? I think uh, Lawrence uh, mentioned this uh, briefly. If you're dealing with a stockbroker uh, or like an employer, people are used to getting some type of tax form that summarizes your income, gains and losses. And they're kind of uh, used to kind of looking at that form and reporting that on the form 1040 and, and you're done with your tax work. Unfortunately, in the crypto world, uh, it doesn't happen. So the burden of kind of reconciling your transactions across multiple wallets and exchanges fall on you. One of the big pitfalls that we see uh, in the space is that, you know, you, you're in the tax season and you don't know how much gains or losses you made. 
during the year. So not tracking that cost basis uh, could be uh, time consuming, like you know, especially if you had to do it right now in in a in a in a, uh, in, in a quick period of time. So just know that there are like you know certain crypto tax software that you can use to kind of mitigate that, and you can kind of automatically calculate the gains and losses. So so not tracking your basis and competing against and losses is one of the biggest pitfalls that 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 we see. I would say the other uh, misconception that that a lot of some some folks in this space have is that. Uh, they think that crypto is anonymous, therefore it's completely invisible to regulators. Unfortunately, that's not the case. There are a lot of ways that the IRS knows that you have something to do with crypto. It could happen through these 1099 reportings that exchanges uh, do. Like, for example, if you receive some, t- some type of 1099 form, that means your activity has already been reported to the IRS by, by that broker. So if you do not report that amount on your tax return, there will be a notice. IRS also uses uh, these subpoenas to exchanges. And if your name and information get leaked as a result of these subpoenas, uh, then they can audit you and see if you really reported those amounts. Another way regulators know about your crypto uh, is through, is by using some of these software like uh, chain analysis, CypherTrace. They can you know, essentially uh, go through the blockchain activity and assign real-world identities to anonymous transactions and wallets. So just don't think that crypto is anonymous. I mean, it's 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 publicly uh, available on the blockchain and it's visible to the regulators. So make sure that you report your activity to, to the IRS and other regulators. In fact, I, I would reinforce that. So the IRS, if it's focused resources on anything in crypto in the last few years, it's been on enforcement. So it is quite concerned that there's underreporting related to crypto. So it resulting in the question that we discussed earlier, a lot of focus on John Doe summons, which Shahan referred to. So, and the mistake that I think most people uh, uh, make something that is surprising to me, but if people don't, if you don't receive a form and that form is put in your shoebox and then given to your accountant, let's say in March or April, if you don't receive a 1099, you think, well, I didn't earn anything, nothing happened. So therefore I don't have to report it. But the form is nothing more than just a mechanism for providing information to you and to the government. So there's a matching system associated with that, but it's really just informational so that you can then follow your tax return. And the fact that we don't really have a 1099 mechanism yet for crypto, we're expecting it most likely sometime this year to be introduced in the next year or so. You most likely, including if you're a customer of Coinbase, you're not gonna receive a 1099B, which is the most typical form, but it doesn't mean that you're not subject to tax. So you should remember as Shahan just, uh, I I think uh, made very clear, if you have income, then you should still report that income and don't assume the IRS won't know about you because they have tried other mechanisms and have focused uh, enormously on trying to find out where people are and whether they're reporting income or not. All right. So now we're going to get into the meaty bit of the show. Um, One of the sad things is I noticed from the script last year that the first major new trend whose tax implications we discussed was NFTs. But this year, it's going to be bankruptcies. So for people who have become creditors in one of the many bankruptcies or liquidation proceedings, what do they need to know when it comes to their taxes? Oh, boy, this one's going to be a hard one, because I think um, this is where the rules are very strict, and they're going to be somewhat painful. So losses in the taxes, the tax system is essentially predicated on recognition events. And a bankruptcy in and of itself is not a recognition event. 
So you might have lost a substantial amount of money in Voyager, Celsius, Genesis, FTX, and yet you may still not be able to recognize a loss associated with that. So you're kind of stuck with where you are itself. Now, if you have built-in losses for crypto assets as well, that itself is also not a taxable event. So Bitcoin dropped from 60,000 to, let's say, 60, no, um, 18,000 at one point, now 20. So you have a built-in loss associated with that. Until you sell it or dispose it of it, it doesn't create a taxable transaction. So let's separate those two in transactions into themselves. So if you do something, if you recognize a loss because you sell or trade it, let's say on Coinbase or an exchange, that is a taxable transaction that will trigger a loss. That loss, if you're an individual, is limited, if you, unless you have capital gains, to $3,000. can be carried forward, but it's essentially a very small number that you can then use, which is why, as we discussed earlier, one of the benefits of managing your portfolio is you might be able to balance those losses against gains because we manage losses against gains. But both of those depend on recognition events. The IRS itself released a chief counsel advisory memorandum just um, actually about a month or so ago on the very point of what built-in losses represent, whether crypto is a security, whether you can take the, we call it worthless securities, worthless stock deduction. You cannot. I mean, I think they've made that very clear. You can take a general capital loss if you trigger a loss, but you can't, you can't treat it as a worthless stock deduction, which is another available avenue for that may have been applicable to crypto. Now, when it comes to bankruptcy, that's not, as I said before, a recognition of that. So it really creates, uh, I think it will create a lot of anxiety for people about how, what to do, whether they can do anything. Now, in, there is a theft loss deduction that you can take. This was used in the Madoff scandal. So in the Madoff scandal, the IRS actually provided pretty beneficial and favorable guidance on how to take theft losses associated with the Ponzi scheme of Bernie Madoff. And to the extent that you think that there has been theft, for example, I will, you know, with FTX or another platform, you think that you've been misled, your money was absconded with, it was taken away, your assets, you gave it and thought they were custodied and then they weren't, they were used for other purposes. You might be able to benefit from a theft loss. Now, this is a little complicated because there are very strict rules of how to claim this. You have to be, it has to be engaged for profit. So you have to purchase your, your crypto for profit. The theft itself has to be a genuine theft. A bankruptcy is not theft. So I think let's get that, make that clear. But if the bankruptcy is the result of theft, then you might be able to argue that there was theft. And as I said, I, I would really love the IRS to provide guidance on just as they did with Bernie Madoff because of the number of people involved. If you really were, if, if the IRS felt, if we have a broad enough number of people who are implicated by this, I think something along those lines would be quite helpful overall in providing um, some support for what I just described. But you can read the guide, the Bernie Madoff Ponzi guidance is still out there. So it's still applicable. It's not like that's disappeared. So you can still rely on the overall contours. And that involved when to recognize it, how to document it, how to report it. But a theft loss might be available. Other than that, you just simply have the recognition event, as I described earlier, which is that you have to sell the asset, have to do something with it, and therefore trigger an actual loss. And just so I understand this part that you're saying about theft, that would mostly apply, I guess, to customers of FTX.com, which you know technically was um, restricted uh, from 
you know, I, I'm not sure exactly how to define it. It's like Americans or, but I'm sure there's probably Americans with like corporations elsewhere or something that participated on FTX.com. So maybe some group like that, because do you think the theft provision would apply to the, to customers of FTX US? Or- uh, again, uh, it's very fact specific. So, you know, FTX US also is in bankruptcy. We're not entirely certain about how assets were commingled with FTX US itself. You know, we've heard what SBF has said about whether those assets can be satisfied, the liabilities can be satisfied, but I think it's relatively unclear. We might still have US participants on the FTX, um, the foreign exchange based in the Bahamas. So that might be applicable as well. There are other examples of misleading statements that have been made elsewhere within the crypto economy, either with, you know, I don't want to name names, but I think, you know, there's other examples where people would argue probably that there is um, misleading, they've been misled, their assets haven't been used in the way they thought they were being used, they can't withdraw them, they thought they were just making deposits, they were statements made about whether it was FDIC insured and it wasn't FDIC insured. And so when those entities went into bankruptcy, the claim is that there was fraud being committed. Once you have fraud, I think, again, fraud is not theft. Bankruptcy is not theft. I'm simply positing a possibility for someone. To, it, otherwise, I just think we have a very un, just un, just unsatisfactory answer for most people, which is you can do nothing. You can sit and wait, which is, I don't think, a very helpful um, answer. But if you want to explore the contours of theft, I just think there is sort of this avenue that was provided, I think, very favorably by the IRS um, in 2008-2009. Okay, so just to spell it out for people, like put, it sounds like you're saying potentially people might work with a tax professional to find a way to argue that that situation, the, the Madoff guidance applies to things that occurred with Celsius or Voyager or Genesis. There are so many bankruptcies. I'm wondering if I'm missing one. But uh, 3AC, um, is it, it sounds like that's what you're saying. Like, it depends on your situation. You'd want to talk to a tax professional who knows the Madoff pro- uh, guidance. Okay. Okay. And Shihan, you yeah. know, what do you want to add on, on that? Uh, j- just to add, like, uh, if you're curious, uh, uh, you know, when we say uh, uh, Bernie Madoff guidance, we refer to Revenue Procedure 2009-20. So you can actually Google it and it's an easy to read PDF. It clearly lays out what you need to meet to claim a deduction as a Ponzi loss. Take a look at the PDF, talk to your prof- uh, tax advisor and, and see if you're eligible to take a deduction under that provision. And, and also ask the tax advisor if it even makes sense for you to kind of explore that avenue. Sometimes, you know, uh, those deductions could be limited by other court section of the tax, uh, you know, your tax profile. So it's not even worth considering some of this deduction because it could get disallowed by other things. And then the second thing to consider is that, is it even worth kind of claiming some of this deduction and opening your tax return to other, you know, audit risk and et cetera. So that's where you kind of need to know your specific fact patterns and your overall tax profile and also work with like a good tax advisor. So then you can kind of leverage that provision adjustment uh, before kind of jumping into saying that, oh, I want to take a deduction or write-off. I mean, write-offs, uh, they also commit, you know, certain risks. So make sure you work with a uh, qualified advisor uh, before looking into these deductions this, because these are somewhat sophisticated deductions and write-offs. Okay. And I might've misspoke earlier because I just realized that Genesis bankruptcy wasn't filed until 2023. So for those taxpayers, uh, is it that like that bankruptcy doesn't affect their 2022 taxes at all? 
again, a, a bankruptcy itself is not a definite, it's not a taxable event. So you'd have to have a lot. So you'd have to have something that was triggered through a transaction. The transaction could be you disposed of you. I sold my crypto or my interest in, you know, whatever I invested in, um, in Genesis to let's say Shahan or whatever. So I think that again, that's, that's sort of the defining uh, feature for when you can actually claim a loss. So you have to have a taxable event at that point you can then recognize whether it's ta uh, whether you get a capital loss or not um and be able to use it and net it against capital gains if you're going to try to make the argument as i said earlier that there's been theft involved that actually can arise even if you don't have a taxable because that depends not on what you do but rather what the recipient did they stole your assets they did something other than what they said they were going to do with them and what they represented that they would so that could happen even prior to bankruptcy. You could, if there were some, you'd, again, this is proof, so it's fairly complicated. You'd have to document, have documentation. If you had proof or some evidence that was satisfactory to the government, then you might be able to make the argument that it's theft. All right. So in a moment, we're going to talk about other kinds of losses in crypto. But first, a quick word from the sponsors who make this show possible. Become a disruptor in the emerging fintech space through NYU Stern's new Master of Science in Fintech program. This is a one-year part-time program divided into one online and six on-site modules that take place in New York and in rotating global locations. The new program is designed for experienced working professionals who want to strengthen their fintech skills or transition to fintech leadership positions. The next application deadline for the inaugural MSFT class of 2024, beginning May 2023, is March 15th. To learn more about the program, visit stern.nyu.edu slash MSFT hyphen unchained. FTSE Russell, a leading global index provider, recently announced the launch of its market cap digital asset index series. The newly launched FTSE Global Digital Asset Index Series, built in association with the experts at Digital Asset Research, measures the investable digital asset market from large cap to micro cap, leveraging a transparent asset and exchange vetting process. FTSE Russell has applied its trademark expertise, governance, and structure to digital assets, offering institutional quality data to build, manage, and measure investment portfolios. Get your index data from a market leader. Find out more at footsierussell.com slash digital asset. $3.8 billion of value was stolen from crypto projects last year due to compromised private keys, exit scams, flash loan exploits, and other preventable causes. Hallborn offers preventative security solutions for every stage of your software development lifecycle. From smart contracts, layer one, and DevOps audits, to advanced penetration tests, risk assessments, and incident response. With over 150 industry partners, including Animoca Brands, Solana Foundation, and Ava Labs, Hallborn's best-in-class security advisory solutions ensure the safety of company assets and user trust. Visit Hallborn.com for more. Join over 50 million people using Crypto.com, one of the easiest places to buy, earn, and spend over 250 cryptocurrencies. New users enjoy zero credit card fees on crypto purchases in their first seven days. With Crypto.com Earn, get industry-leading interest rates of up to 14.5% on over 30 coins, including Bitcoin. Earn up to 8.5% on stablecoins. With the Crypto.com Visa card, you can spend your crypto anywhere. Enjoy up to 5% cash back instantly 
plus 100% rebates for your Netflix and Spotify subscriptions, and zero annual fees. Download the Crypto.com app and get $25 with the code LAURA. Link in the description. Back to my conversation with Shehan and Lawrence. Another one of the huge events in crypto this past year was the collapse of Terra Luna. How are people who were invested in a coin that went to zero or close to it going to be taxed? Can they deduct that loss? Um, does it depend on whether they sold? Um, or you know, what do you do in that case where the value of what you own just simply plummeted to almost nothing? So again, I, this is going to be unsatisfactory because it's not really dissimilar from what we just described with bankruptcy. So the mere reduction in value of a crypto asset is not a taxable event. And the government, as I said, has made that clear in a recent chief counsel advisory memorandum. So when something, and they actually use an example very similar to what you just described, uh, Terra Luna, they described a, an asset, a crypto asset that diminished the value to like to not something nominal. Um, even though it might still be traded, it was essentially nominal in scope and what certainly didn't represent what, what it was, uh, what purported to be. And they concluded then A, it wasn't a security. Crypto is not a security under the Internal Revenue Code, under the definitions of the code. So you can't claim a worthless securities or stock deduction, which is what's available. So you have to sort of depend on the original lost characterization. That, as I said, requires a transaction. So. If it's still publicly traded and you dispose of it, you will trigger a capital loss. If I sell that, even if I transfer it to Shahan and he pays me whatever nominal value there is for that, that would trigger a loss as well. Again, based on those loss limitations that we described earlier, which are for most people pretty unsatisfactory as well. They're limited losses, naked losses, capital losses, and that parallel capital gains and loss system are deductible only to the extent of $3,000 they're carried forward, so you can use them in future years, but that's not a very substantial amount. Maybe, you know, it depends on your facts and circumstances, obviously, but that's effectively limited. However, as I said, if you have other capital gains that you triggered, that's why it's very useful to go through your portfolio and see what you can trigger at the end of November, December, and figure where you want to be and whether there are things you can do affirmatively to balance out those to them. Um, and if you triggered a capital loss, you weren't able to use it in 2020 for 2022 tax year, you can still do that for 2023 and then use it for 2023. Yeah, again, just to just to add more color on what Lawrence mentioned. So if you, if you read the IRS tax code, if you want to have like a capital loss, there must be a sale or exchange of one asset with another asset. So again, you could have coins or even NFTs in your wallet that have effectively gone to zero. And you might be thinking, okay, how can I write this out? Because I don't want to do any activity. Uh, and in, in most cases, some of these coins don't even have any liquid markets uh, that you can find easily. So you might be thinking, okay, I want to take this as a writer to register my taxable income. Now, the, the memorandum that was issued by the IRS uh, clarified that you can only take a capital loss uh, if you, you know, have a sale or exchange. Uh, so the, my advice to you is that if you have coins or NFTs that have gone to near zero values, find a market or, or, or somebody, unrelated party, to dispose of that asset and get something back. It could even be like $0.0001, uh, but that establishes that capital loss that's allowed by the IRS versus kind of going into taking the deduction as a worthless security deduction or kind of abandoning it. Again, these are somewhat sophisticated deductions. Whenever you have kind of, you go into taking deductions or losses kind of other than 
capital losses, which are very frequent, then your your return and your tax profile kind of get uh, uh, surfaced uh, among other tax returns that the IRS receives because these are very niche type of deductions. So again, if you if you have this situation, I highly recommend you talking to a tax advisor because they can look at your risk profile and your entire tax profile and guide you the right way to take the deduction. Another comment I would make is that, you know, you really only have the capital loss mechanism and the disposition or taxable exchange that Shahan described. There is a loss provision in the code, but essentially it was eviscerated in the tax uh, in, 19, in 2017. Um, and so there is no availability for general losses within our existing system right now. It's deferred until, although it was limited by uh, you could put it on miscellaneous expense. Um, that's no longer available, at least through 2026. All right. And, you know, because this is crypto, I also have to ask, how would someone who was the victim of a scam or rug pull, you know, apply that to their taxes? Uh, let's say, you know, I'm I'm sure you guys probably follow Zach XPT. <laughs> There's a number of these rug pulls, especially with NFTs. So if people put their money into something for the promise of something that wasn't delivered, then what can they do? with that on their taxes? Well, I think, again, that raises the question of whether that's theft. So the only thing you really can do is if you feel that you've been subject to theft, you might be able to take a theft loss deduction along with the parameters that we just described in the more probably elaborate mechanisms that may be somewhat more sophisticated mechanisms, but scams are scams. So um, essentially they result in the same, they arise from the same criminal activity, which is effectively someone has stolen your money. What do you do? You argue that you had a theft loss. If you had the asset for profit, you might be able to argue along the lines of the Ponzi scheme guidance that you had a theft and therefore can take a theft loss deduction, which is not only available and not treated as capital, which is beneficial. It's just a just more readily once you're able to claim it actually is a more useful deduction, even than a capital loss deduction. Okay, but it sounds like obviously it would just depend on the facts of what happened it sounds like that's not just something anybody can claim. They would have to argue for it. Is that correct? Yeah. So I, I think the the sad part of all this is that the rules are actually pretty clear. So losses are very limited in our system of taxation in terms of their usability to offset income. And so either you have a capital loss, which depends on actually having a closed transaction, such as a sale or exchange or disposition, or you can potentially, in these more extreme cases, argue that there was theft. So there's a theft loss deduction that is, if you can make the case for it, can be very beneficial. Beyond that, you're pretty much out of luck. Like just, it's like bankruptcy, losing money. The tax system is based on income. It's not necessarily based on loss, at least for individuals. Like if we're talking about businesses and we're talking about netting income for profits, it's a very different uh, set of facts and different animal. But if we're talking about individuals who are just investing for profit, the system is, unless you have capital gains to offset that, you're not going to be able to use your capital losses. Unless you have a theft loss, you're not really going to have that available to you, unfortunately, just a, just the way the system is built. And in a similar vein, how should people handle it if they had crypto in, say, a DeFi protocol or in a cross-chain bridge? That either got hacked or, as happened with Mango Markets, um, the markets were manipulated and then drained. How would how would that um, fall? Or uh, yeah, what um, how would uh, tax the tax code apply in that situation? 
Um, so that's an interesting one because I think with DeFi protocols, what people don't realize, and this is just a trap for the unwary, perhaps, when you enter into a DeFi protocol and you've pooled or you've done something on the DeFi itself, you might have actually triggered a taxable transaction. Mostly, I think in the prior world, at least prior to losses, other than the facts you just described, people probably didn't realize that they might have actually triggered gains at that point. Because I think once you commingle, you put it on a different platform, you do something else with it, you've done something that in our world is considered to be a closed disposition transaction, and that might trigger a capital loss. So at that point, you might be able to argue that the DeFi transaction itself constituted a taxable loss and therefore be able to trigger a capital loss that you can use to offset against capital gain income. So there's probably more structure than what you just described with Terra Luna, which is just this built-in loss that you can't otherwise claim. You could argue that the DeFi transaction itself gave rise to a taxable transaction. That's, again, pretty exotic and pretty complicated because some people would argue that in more mainstream situations, DeFi is simply a loan, a loan of your crypto, which is going to be restored at a later point with exactly the same attributes. So, And there is... There is generally pretty favorable rules associated with what we call securities lending. And people like to think that crypto could be thrown or at least um, put within that system itself so that with lending itself, I think most people would argue that the mere lending of crypto is not a taxable transaction. So again, that's a little bit of a, you know, there's a distinction between one versus the other. But if you're doing something more, I think more extensive within DeFi, as people have done, you're, as I said, you're pooling, you're trying to generate yields. So you've transferred the asset and ownership rights to someone else that could very well constitute a taxable transaction triggering a capital loss. All right. So a brighter spot in crypto that people will be interested in is how staking will be taxed. We've alluded to it um, at different points, but I want to call out one case in particular that saw a lot of discussion in 2022. And it was mentioned earlier in the show, it involved Joshua and Jessica Jarrett. And they had this case involving Tezos tokens that they they had created through staking. And they fought for a certain position, which is that gains made through staking should be considered income only at the moment that those tokens are sold. And a judge actually ruled the question moot since they'd already been issued a refund. Um, So is there any kind of broader significance for people that they can draw from this case and apply to um, their staking gains? I would say um, my own personal view. I think these, the IRS has pretty much told us what they think about staking. So I think um, you can, of course, take your own view and consult you with your tax advisor. You can do what the Jareds did. But the IRS has essentially told us that staking is taxable upon receipt when you have dominion and control over the asset itself. So if you have received staking rewards, they they're basically um, give um, uh, return to you in the form of staking rewards in your wallet. You've staked yourself, or you've validated with a with another uh, validator, and you've received a component of that. That's going to be taxable upon receipt. I would I think I would advise people not to take the position that's not taxable. Most exchanges, including our own, we would we have a lot of it. We we try to offer a lot of guidance in this area as well, just over the overall tax system. If you receive more than $600 on a major exchange like Coinbase, you're going to be uh, receiving a 1099 MISC, which is essentially just a, a statement that tells you how much staking rewards you have. That's also reported to the government. It's matched. If you don't report it, it'll be 
Um, you'll be questioned about it. They do have matches. That's one of the things the government does very, very well. It matches those forms against the income that you then report. If you don't report it, they'll ask you why. Now, you may take a position that it's still not taxable. You can contest that. You can file a refund claim. You can do all the things that Jared's did. But in essence, I think the government views that as taxable. I don't think that's the end of the world, actually, for most people. I don't know. It depends on your prognosis or your view about the future. If you think crypto is bright, as I do, I don't know that it's necessarily terrible because once it's taxable, it's taxable at the value you've received it, which presumably will be a lot less than when you actually monetize or sell it. Now, if you treat it as taxable only at that later point, that's taxable as ordinary income. Shahan described how that goes into other income. So at that point, everyone agrees there's a taxable transaction and you've received something, but that's ordinary income. If on the other hand, you receive the reward, you report it, you then take a basis in that asset representing what that was when you received it. And then when you actually monetize it, that will be a capital transaction subject to a more favorable capital gains rate, which could be almost half of what you actually would have paid otherwise. So again, it's not, no, people are built, have this uh, predisposition that deferral, not paying tax today is always beneficial. But I think we probably have to put this in context. I think in many cases, it might actually be better in the long run to just recognize this smaller component of income and then take it into account as capital gain at a later point. Shihan, do you want to add anything on that case? Yeah, again, as Lawrence mentioned, uh, this, you know, recognizing income today is not the end of the world. Uh, it's a timing difference. It's a matter of when you report the income versus how much income you report over, over uh, the, uh, the, the lifetime of that asset. The other thing I want to somewhat of an update uh, was that, again, still IRS hasn't issued any official guidance on staking. The only update that we saw this month was that they updated the digital assets page on the IRS website. Uh, now it clearly says that uh, staking income and mining income uh, is, is subject to you know uh, tax consequences. So that's kind of like the small hint that we have from the IRS uh, when it comes to how to go about staking income. And again, as Laura's mission, and, and also as a practitioner, I would advise anybody to kind of take the conservative position and report income at the time you receive the staking reward that establishes the cost base. And, and when you later sell it, you pay capital gain taxes. All right. So what about, I mean, we kind of said the Ethereum merge, that's that's not a taxable event. Um, for the earning interest portion, is there anything to mention there? Um, or frankly, also the uh, the Pow tokens that people probably uh, received at the time and um, in most cases probably sold? So I a lot of questions to unpack, um, uh, all very good. So I think if you, so let's take ETH proof of work. Um, in some instances, you might've been eligible to receive proof of work, but you did not receive those assets because the exchange didn't, uh, doesn't support it. So if it's not supported on your exchange, it might just be sitting out there and you can't really use it in any fashion unless you transfer the ETH to yourself, to your digital wallet. The system is built on the notion of what we call dominion and control. So if you had a right to it, but couldn't claim it and couldn't monetize it, then you're not taxable on that upon receipt. You'd have to wait until you can actually receive, uh, have dominion and control over that asset. So I think just more broadly, I think most people um, believe that the ETH merge resulted in a non-taxable exchange with mainstream ETH. So ETH, whether you call it ETH or ETH2, whatever you call it, 
that ETH, which became proof of work to proof of stake, is non-taxable. The proof of work, which is, toward our view, like a chain split and the creation of a new token, the IRS has told us that that is a taxable transaction. Did that actually in one of the few forms of guidance that we have in a 2019 ruling with Bitcoin Cash. So that's a taxable transaction. As I said, just like with Bitcoin Cash, if it wasn't supported on the exchange and you didn't receive it, then you're not taxable on what you don't actually own or monetize. Um, but it will be a taxable transaction at that point. You mentioned interest. I, I often, um, a little, um, wary about when people use that term in the, in the form of crypto, because interest is for a tax lawyer is basically for the forbearance of cash fiat. It's not associated with anything related to crypto. So if you own an asset that produces what we call interest, I would prefer to call it yield or rewards is treated as miscellaneous income. It's not really treated as interest in the traditional sense. That may mean me just a tax lawyer talking and sounds like I'm just talking uh, gobbledygook. And so it doesn't really mean anything. It, it means something and for most people in the system, but it's not interest per se, but it is taxable upon, again, upon receipt, just like staking rewards, yield. If you own a stable coin, you receive rewards. Um, if you're on the Coinbase exchange and you, we have possibilities to earn income through Coinbase earn. Those are all taxable to you um, when upon receipt. It'll be reported to you if you receive more than $600, but it's taxable to you nonetheless. All right. Let's all now discuss NFTs just because this was still a major trend for um, a good part of the year. Let's just walk through all the various transactions around NFTs and how those might be taxed. So for instance, receiving one, selling one, minting one, issuing one as a creator. Let's run through all those. Okay. So when you talk about NFTs, I guess there are two parties. I mean, you could be an investor or you could be a creator. So let me kind of go to the investor side first. Investor side of taxes are very similar to trading cryptocurrencies or any other coin. So when you cash out an NFT, that's taxable. When you go from one NFT to another and you make a profit, that, that's a taxable event. I don't know any situations where you can spend an NFT and get a good or service, but if that's the case, that is taxable because you're disposing of an asset and, and that could create like a gain. If you earn like royalties uh, as an investor through subsequent sales, you know, that's taxable. You typically had recognized the royalty income at the time you receive it and you pay taxes on that. So that's the investor side. Again, very similar to trading coins. Now for the creator, it depends, you know, it depends on, you know, how you're, how you have set up the business, if you have a trade of business or et cetera. But generally, when you sell your NFT, uh, to somebody else, that triggers order income for the creator. Uh, if you're in the business of, uh, you know, selling NFTs. And again, you, you, you sell it, you recognize income. And if you run your NFT creator business as a trader business, you can also offset, uh, related expenses against the NFT income. So that, uh, might involve your subscription to software that you use to create the NFTs. Could even be gas fees and et cetera. That's anything that's essential to running that NFT business could be a business expense, uh, which you can use to offset that NFT uh, income. You might also be subject to what's called self-employment taxes. Uh, again, if you're doing this as an active trader business, so something to keep in mind. And, and also make sure you pay your quarterly taxes if you run this as a business. Because IRS kind of assess taxes uh, at a high level for income that you make in each quarter. So you, you, if you were to wait until the tax day, you might have to pay extra penalties because you didn't pay the taxes that were due at the end of every quarter. So something to keep in mind. 
I think most people associate today NFTs with art objects like Board Ape Yacht Club and collectibles. And that's, I think, Shihan highlighted that may not always be the case. It's a broad term. I just had a discussion uh, about this with the Europeans in the context of VAT and indirect taxes. So an NFT could ultimately become a security or a bond on the blockchain um, that essentially is part of your portfolio with Goldman Sachs, for example. So it's non-fungible, essentially a non-fungible asset. Um, in the context that Shihan just described, which is like the one that we think about, the Sotheby's painting or the Sotheby's NFT that sold for like $5 million, that might be treated as a collectible. A collectible is subject to a, a different tax rate when it's sold. It's subject to a 28% tax rate. The legacy of, uh, of I think, uh, uh, when the capital gains taxes were reduced in 1998 or so. So it's just taxed at a different rate. It's still treated as capital in nature, as Shaham described. You can dispose of it. That's the collectible component. But more broadly, it might be lots of other things. It might be, as we know, like, I just think this has such enormous potential. It's going to be one of the great use cases for crypto going forward. You might have an NFT in the form of, I have the right to use a hotel room during the Super Bowl. And so I can then enter it into the marketplace, exchange it in a decentralized fashion, as opposed to going through a market, an established centralized marketplace that itself can trigger gain or loss, right? So it might trigger other types of, and that's not necessarily a collectible, but subject to a different tax rate overall. So it depends on the form itself, but the way most people think about it, just to be uh, to be clear about how collectibles are treated, if you have collectible gain, that's subject to a tax rate of 28%. Last year, another big topic was the uncertainty around how the infrastructure bill would affect crypto taxes. And yes, that is a discussion from 2021 that I think uh, is still reverberating uh, to today. So has any of that been resolved? And if so, what are the changes? What do people need to know about how this affects their taxes? The simple answer is no, nothing, <laughs> nothing has changed. So we actually know now that the regulations that were promised that will introduce this 1099 reporting mechanism that I think Shahan referred to supposed to produce something called a 1099-DA for digital asset. That's pending in front of, so it's left the Treasury Department and it's gone to what we call the OIRA, that's a regulatory oversight body within the Office of Management and Budget. They have a time frame that they can, their, their perspective is what is the impact on the overall economy. Efficiencies is part of the Paperwork Reduction Act. So it's in front of them, meaning that the regs are really imminent. But so, and that we got an announcement. So the effective date of the statute actually is to start tracking basis beginning on January 1st. So for an exchange like Coinbase, I think where we clearly agree that we are a broker within the definition of those rules. So we would have prepared for that and been expected to start tracking basis for our customers. That's not an easy thing to do. You have to build systems, you have to, and that's a, a fairly complicated mechanism. Um, so we worried about what this ultimately meant with the effective date, but the, the IRS actually did announce um, right around Christmas time that uh, the, once the regs are issued, they would become those rules would become effective only when they're finalized, which we're expecting to be sometime. Let's assume in the fast-paced world of government that that occurs sometime in 2023. Probably won't uh, require us to track basis until 2024 at the earliest, and I think even that's pretty ambitious. Overall, based on what we're talking about, because we're already in February and it takes, you know, 
we would argue, a year to build systems to be able to do all that. Um, I don't want to bore everyone, but when broker reporting was introduced in 1099B, it took years, really, even though there were fairly accelerated effective dates, it took years for the industry to prepare for that and the IRS to build systems to even take that information in. Because remember, it's not just what we build, it's we have to send this to someone and they have to be able to use it in a, in a constructive, intelligent way. So that does take time. So the short answer, short and sweet, nothing happened of any note in 2022, um, but we're expecting things to happen in 2023. I think what will be even more interesting in 2023 is not the broker reporting mechanisms that apply to Coinbase. I, I actually view that as fairly uninteresting. We're building systems to accommodate that. We understand that. I don't think that's particularly interesting in and of itself. It's the broader ramifications on DeFi, on NFTs, whether they're going to be included, not what I would view as sort of the non-financial components and also the broader decentralized components where there is no centralized exchange and there's not a built-in mechanism for anyone to anyone to point to who can track these assets. The government has been, the IRS has been, I think, quite reluctant to, ex to essentially exclude those parameters from the reporting mechanism. But we don't typically have reporting, like to say NFTs, for example, they're non-fungible assets, they're typically non-financial in nature. We don't typically report retail transactions um, to the government. There's, we can talk a little bit about cash transactions and there's a mechanism for that if you have over $10,000. But broadly speaking, if you're buying and selling an NFT, a collectible, there's no reporting mechanism associated with that. So to introduce it here is another expansion of the state and about reporting and about privacy. And DeFi is another area, so we don't, I don't even know how that's enforceable in the current world. I spend a lot of time on this issue because I think it's an important one of what we're going to do. The full power of blockchain and DeFi is really where we think we're going. Once that happens, the built-in systems of centralized reporting don't readily apply and can't be grafted onto that. So I think it just presents challenges of how our tech system will evolve with that. But we're expecting some guidance from the government about how they think about that and how they want to apply it to the, the broader crypto economy. And so I recognize that this show is meant to be, you know, kind of more like um, a service podcast for listeners. But I'm very interested to hear how you think, you know, our tax system can be applied to DeFi if you just want to go down that tangent for a second. Uh, well, this is a rabbit hole. Uh, so, I mean, the, the rules we talked about earlier are equally applicable. Like the tax system is not, while the broader tax system and crypt, crypto comes, as we know, in so many different flavors and so many different varieties, but the contours of whether you tax income and whether it's capital in nature or ordinary, that's really no different, broadly speaking, for 50,000 feet. So if you're monetizing earning income, otherwise earning the deriving gain from trading, disposing of assets on a decentralized versus centralized platform. The only difference is that there's no centralized mechanism that's in the established TradFi world today, or even under broker reporting for Coinbase, for that to be reported to the government. So it's just, it's a, that's the power of decentralized peer-to-peer -peer tra transactions. It doesn't mean it's not taxable. It just means that the existing mechanisms to report it and to collect tax on it in advance, perhaps, those are not readily available. And that's why I think that presents interesting policy challenges, because I, 
we have to resolve to, if, if, if the full power and potential of crypto is realized and we migrate more towards a decentralized peer to peer world. And we can spend a lot of times on how extensive that would be, how integrated that could be into the broader economy, whether the average person is going to be sophisticated enough to do that. We can spend a lot of time on that. But if that's a significant component of the future of, of, of crypto, of digital assets, it really is going to test the contours of the tax system because it's still taxable. People are still going to have to report it. But I think the government is very skeptical about whether people actually do. So they're going to want to introduce mechanisms to then still create taxability or some type of control mechanism so that people actually report those taxes. My own personal view is that digital ID tokens, privacy tokens, things that can be inserted for the limited purpose of reporting of KYCing, it use that term because people react to that type of thing, but to introduce some type of mechanism so that we can have some type of enforceability or reporting of those transactions. I think that to me is the, I certainly don't have answers to these things right now, but I think we have to have that discussion because the more it migrates off to that, the more it becomes for the government, something like, let's say, Tornado Cash, Monero. So it just becomes something, if it's totally private, it's outside, it's not subject to any type of centralized control. The government assumes, rightly or wrongly, that there won't be taxes paid on that. And that's going to create an enormous shift of potential revenue from the government to a decentralized platform. And ultimately, that's not viable for the long term. I think we probably all recognize that we still have to pave our roads, open our schools. So there just has to be some answer to these questions. These are now we talked about direct taxes, which is what we call income taxes. This is equally true for what I call transaction taxes. So when you buy or sell, you do the trading of NFTs on an NFT platform, um, like OpenSea, Coinbase NFT, those may be subject to sales tax. And so various states have woken, awoke, you know, they, they've woken up to the, sub, to the potential revenue source. Well, these are basically just like collectibles and we tax the, the transfer of collectibles. How do we do that? You can't really do that on, on any decentralized platform. If OpenSea, if you're doing this through a smart contract with ETH, there's no reporting mechanism associated with that. So how do you then report that? It's equally true for transaction taxes. It's uh, something I talk about with the Europeans about VAT. Lot to talk about in this space, but and a lot of challenges actually, just in terms of how governments are going to react to that. Yeah, it's it's going to be super interesting to um, see how all this plays out. Assuming that what it is that crypto people want to build actually pans out the way that they hope. Um, but okay, so just to kind of quickly go over again, you know, things that can help the listeners of the show. Obviously, a number of people are probably using different exchanges or other entities. So what kind of help or forms or whatever can they expect to receive from different crypto exchanges or other entities they might use? Well, I, we have a relationship with a partnership with Cointracker. So for more, I think, more advanced trading. But if you go to the Coinbase exchange today, you'll find a pretty extensive set of of, of modules and guidance associated with how to pay your taxes, what everything we just described, I think is described very well. Um, so we give people help in terms of how to think about taxes in terms of what they should report, how they should report it, how they should treat it. We also provide them with transaction history. We won't provide anyone with a 1099 B that's, we don't think applicable to our industry yet. So we don't actually do that. 
we will provide 1099 MISC for staking rewards, as I described earlier, for anything over $600. So I think this is true of all centralized exchanges. They'll probably do the same thing. Um, so, and you can find that on at least our website. So you'll find education, modules, um, just instructions on how to effectively do all this, guidance in terms of how to report gains or losses. If you're just simply trading on Coinbase, you can easily track your basis through your transaction history. You can calculate your gains or losses. If you're doing something a little bit more exotic, elaborate, if you're transferring from Kraken to Coinbase and then or from Coinbase to Kraken, there's no basis transfer in that. Again, that might be the future, but it's certainly not the rule today. Or you transferred it to your wallet and then you did something else with it. In that instance, I think Shahan can describe what he does, but we you know we have links to our partnerships with various third-party providers that can help you go to the last mile, what we would call the last mile in terms of reporting your taxes, one of which is a service like Cointracker, which does that with more. They they try to build APIs so that you can extract all this information and produce it in an intelligent and fashion. Um, Cointracker is not the only one, so I love Shahan, but there's, there are other competitors as well, but Shahan can certainly describe what, what he does. Yeah, again, just to add to what Lawrence mentioned, uh, if you're just a single exchange user, say, for example, you're all using Coinbase or Gemini, uh, I would encourage you to go to the tax center and, and see if the exchange is, is giving you the right gain and loss report. And Coinbase is doing a great job. You got to log into your exchange and see what kind of reporting uh, your exchange has. But if you're a multi-exchange user, including DeFi, say, for example, you have Coinbase account, Gemini account, and a bunch of MetaMask accounts, a lot of you know transactions going in and out of those places, you will need some type of aggregation tool like Contractor to kind of connect all those places into one place and calculate your basis and calculate your gains and losses accurately. So without an aggregation tool, uh, the tracking and applying the right tax rules uh, is virtually impossible. So make sure you uh, use some type of aggregation tool to figure out your gains and losses on, on which you have to pay taxes on uh, this tax season and also going forward as well. All right. And um, now let's just quickly talk about, uh, you know, corporation taxes. There are some companies who hold Bitcoin or other cryptos on their balance sheet. And the Financial Accounting Standards Board recently came up with standards for presentation and financial statements and disclosures. How does this affect those corporations um, holding crypto? So I'll take a step at it. Uh, so, so far, uh, under GAAP, generally accepted accounting principles uh, that public credit companies have to follow, if you have crypto on your balance sheet, it's treated as an indefinite life, intangible asset. And if you look at the financial statements of Tesla's, um, you know, MicroStrategy, you can see how they're treating this way. The bad news is that there's big disadvantage uh, for the company uh, for following this treatment. That's uh, you know, uh, that's in the gap rules. Essentially, when you buy or you know, positive on Bitcoin, you report that as at the, at the cost. And later, if the value goes down, you had to mark it down and recognize a loss for book purposes. However, if the market value goes up for that Bitcoin or whatever the digital asset, you do not get to mark it up. So in 2022, we saw like a lot of, you know, companies, you know, Tesla, MicroStrategy, they were booking like this massive amount of book losses because the market kind of went down and they were never able to kind of mark it up for book purposes. And that kind of affected uh, their financials, uh, how the industry and investors kind of see the strength of the company. But there's good news. The good news is that the fast fee 
financial accounting standard boards uh, is now trying to treat crypto in a different way uh, when you hold in a corporation. So going forward, uh, they haven't still finalized the rulings yet, but going forward, you get to keep crypto at the market value. So meaning if it goes up, you get to mark it up and recognize the loss for book purposes. If it goes down, you get to uh, report a loss. So the, the good news here is that when and investors look at the financial statements, they kind of see the true picture of that balance sheet because the, the coin there is now marked to the market. So that's, that's a good news uh, versus having that previous model where you only uh, get to mark it down and you don't get to mark it up when the market goes up. All right. Well, this has been a really comprehensive discussion, but is there anything that we didn't cover that you feel crypto people should know about their taxes? I would say just don't make, I think we did cover this, but don't make the mistake that just because you didn't receive a report or information from someone that you, if you have income that you derive from crypto on DeFi or elsewhere, that you don't have to report that because you actually do. And uh, so, and the most important thing about owning crypto, unfortunately, is record keeping because it's essentially decentralized. It puts more of the burden on you to keep track of your assets. That's benefit overall because the better you track them, the more you can evaluate when to trigger gains or losses, what those gains and losses otherwise are. Otherwise, at some point, you may receive a report from a brokerage which has a zero basis. It's just like a blank because it doesn't really know what your basis is. So it's really on you to sort of keep track and keep good records for associated with your assets. So don't make the mistake of not reporting it and also keep track of it. And uh, don't lose sight of the need to, like, the shoebox is not really going to be very helpful anymore. Yeah, I guess let me add uh, one more thing to what Lawrence mentioned. Uh, 2022 was a sub tough year for the crypto industry. Uh, I don't think a lot of people made any gains. But just know that if you sold your assets, uh, you should claim those losses on your tax return. Uh, we've discussed the limitations. I mean, in any given year, if you don't have any other capital gains, you can only get to claim $3,000 worth of capital losses. But say that for some reason you have $100,000 worth of capital losses. So in this year, you get to claim $3,000, but that entire remaining $97,000, you get to carry it forward indefinitely to future years. So in the future years, when the bull market returns and you have gains, you can use those losses to offset those gains. But in order for you to carry it forward, you have to report those losses uh, in the tax uh, return today. Uh, one more thing. So it sounds like Steve Jobs here with Apple. I don't work for Apple. Is that we didn't talk about charitable deductions. So you can, and the service actually issued, I think Shahan referred to this earlier. There was a chief counsel advisor memorandum on charitable deductions. So for charitable deductions, you can donate crypto to a charity. If it's appreciated, it works no differently than you don't recognize the gain or loss associated with the transfer of appreciated property. If it's more than $5,000, then it has to receive an appraisal. And people had sort of assumed that because crypto is readily tradable and therefore has a readily, what we call a readily ascertainable fair market value through a very efficient mechanism of all the various exchanges that you could simply rely on that as evidence or indicia of what you're allowed to deduct. The IRS in a fairly harsh, probably not inaccurate legally, but a fairly harsh memorandum said, no, you have to receive an appraisal a qualified appraiser from a real qualified appraiser. And if you don't, then you're subject to penalties as well. So there's no reasonable cost penalty, even though you said, well, it was traded on X and therefore it was worth more than $5,000. 
So yes, you can donate crypto. Good thing. Please do if you're charitably inclined. If you do more than $5,000, be aware that there is an appraisal requirement. Wow. We'll see a new industry sprouting up of people doing crypto appraisals for charitable donations. Um, all right. Well, this has been just a fascinating show. It's been a pleasure talking to both of you. Where can people learn more about each of you and your work? I'm at Coinbase. Um, you can go to coinbase.com. Um, so um, I think that's probably the easiest. I'm on LinkedIn as well. Uh, that's the rest of where you can find me. I'm at cointracker.com. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, my handle is there, CryptoCPA. So easy to find if you have any questions. Perfect. Well, it's been great having you both on Unchained. Our pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us today. To learn more about Shihan and Lawrence, as well as taxes and crypto, check out the show notes for this episode. Unchained is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Anthony Yoon, Mark Murdoch, Matt Pilchard, Zach Seward, Juan Aranovich, Sam Sriram, Pamajumdar, Shashank, and CLK Transcription. Thanks for listening.